0: Welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You and Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's
1: join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And joining me today is our friend and sister in Christ, Don Hill. And today we're going to talk about something that is really extremely important as it pertains to our ongoing conversation about deliverance. And that is the matter of biblical literacy and biblical authority. Now, I think everybody who listens to this show knows that um, I've written two books on my first two books are on this topic. And so I could talk a long time just myself on this topic. I know from from uh, hearing you as well, Don, I know you're very passionate as well about both topics. So this will be this will be really good. So um, it's always good to just start off with, you know, there's there's a lot of people who are confused even on the what biblical literacy is. And when we talk about biblical literacy, we're, we're not talking about, we're talking about somebody who doesn't know key facts or ideas about the Bible. We're not talking about somebody that, you know, has been reading the Bible for years and just doesn't remember. Um, that's a really important, uh, reminder. It's a really important definition. All of us need to become more literate. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 30 years or five minutes. Um, we can all become. Um, better handlers and better readers of the word of God. And so we should all be aiming to address our biblical literacy by reading and studying and meditating and memorizing and obviously hearing the word preached. But uh, biblical literacy is a very, very real issue. And it's not only um, an issue like among professing Christians, it's as we're going to talk about today, it's a ginormous issue when it comes to the deliverance ministry. Um, So one one stat and then I'll pull you in, Don, you know, the American Bible uh, Society um, and uh, other organizations, they, they do regular reports on this. And so at the beginning of this year in January 2023. Around they report the American Bible Society does around 100 million adults or 39% of Americans said they use the Bible three or more times a year. That equals the lowest number in the 13-year history year history of this study and ties with last year as the lowest percentage. In 2021, at the height of the pandemic, 128 million Americans, 50% of those surveyed, said they interact with scripture at least that much. Around 100 million adults or thirty nine percent of Americans said they use the Bible three or more times a year. That's the lowest number in the history of this particular survey.
2: Yeah, it's pretty uh it's pretty alarming. I remember seeing that in um, the the state of theology and even some of the the beliefs, the questions people were asked and even to see about daily Bible reading. That was another thing that really caught my attention too was um, people that acknowledge that they surveyed that read it daily it was, it barely broke double digits. Yeah. And I mean, for someone that came out of the movement, I came out of, for example, and realizing how biblically illiterate I was, it's alarming because then you start realizing This is why people appeal to their experiences, their supernatural experiences, rather than going back to scripture, rather than doing Bible study and understanding what scripture says in context and how it applies in in your life and understanding descriptive and prescriptive passages and just and just understand having a love for the word of God. I think that's the other thing, too, is that. Um, people that are not wanting to stay in the word and abide in the word is what scripture says. They're not really understanding that's part of their fellowship with God. And so when we don't know what God's word says in the right context, then it opens us up to begin to make a God of our own imagination. And then we start ascribing things to God that he didn't say. And we don't even realize that what we're ascribing to God contradicts something that his very written word has stated so it is very alarming to see those those numbers and to hear that because it really highlights even more so the, the desperate need to point people back to scripture, back to the gospel, back to understanding the word of God and the the importance of that as a believer in Christ. And one of the things that helps us to do along with our fellowship, it keeps us out of deception. If we know what scripture says and we're staying in the word, then we're, we're not going to be easily deceived and we're not going to be easily led astray by all these winds of doctrine. That can come through and lead us off into myths and to things that really are not leading us back to Christ.
1: Amen. Amen. It's like you said, though, that, you know, this is all about this movement is defined by experiences. It's defined mm-hmm. by, I think we've talked about many times now about, you know, the latest book and the latest author and the latest thing and the latest whatever um, idea. And that, like you're saying, is always dangerous because you're never going to be, uh, grounded in the word. You're always going to be, as Paul said in Ephesians 4, um, shaken by every wind of doctrine instead, instead of being stable in, in the word. And that's what the word helps us to do. It helps us to be stable. It helps us to not be double minded and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and uh, false teaching, especially, um, you know, instead of, you know, interpreting scripture for what it is and what it means, you know, um, we're going to see today that these gentlemen, they mishandle the Bible. And this time it takes us to defining biblical authority. Uh, you mentioned Ligonier's state of theology. That That is an eye-opening study. Um, they've been mm-hmm. doing that for years and years now. But in 2022, one of the questions in that was, um, The Bible, like all sacred writings, contained helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Only 53% of those surveyed agreed with that statement. Um, There's another study. I was trying to find it. I believe it's from the American Worldview Survey from Barna. And about 24% of people surveyed believe in absolute truth. And that is even more shocking. And then we, so, so when we use these two types of surveys, the state of the Bible, and then we look at the state of theology, you just, then, then I like to say, go look at what's published, you know, from publishers and look at what's, uh, what the top, uh, consumed podcasts are in the religion category on Apple. A podcast under the Christianity category, and you have an overwhelming number of them that are New Age or or false teachers, mm. and it's 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 alarming. And then we look at these st- statistics, and you just ask the question: Hmm, what is happening in our churches? And I think as as a, as we've been talking about this, it just becomes really apparent the problem is the problem that we have in the professing churches. We don't want to deal with issues. Or very few people, I'll say, very few people want to deal with the issues and speak to the issues. Now, whether they know about the issues or not, that's that's a whole other matter. But I think that one, one of the problems that we have from, again, my perspective growing up in the church is that there's a real fear of man that has made so many professing Christians that they are slaves to the fear of man. And we have got to get over that. We have got to get over that by fearing God more. And we got to be speaking up. What, what, and it's, and I've said this many times, Don, I know you've heard me say this. It doesn't matter how big your platform is. Some people say, Oh, well, the person who has a large platform is they, they should be the one speaking up even more. Right. This is every single person from the homeschool mom to the pastor in the pulpit. And everywhere in between, every single person better be speaking up about this. This this biblical authority denying that the scripture is binding and that it's for all of life and that it's sufficient for every square inch of our lives and that it's clear and reliable and trustworthy. We got to be speaking up about that. In case you're wondering, I'll just mention two books um, my, my first book deals with the problem of, of biblical literacy, um, The Word Explored. Um, my good friend, uh, and br- our brother in Christ, Kosti Hinn, wrote the forward to that one. The Word Matters, uh, Josh Bice, the president of G3, uh, graciously wrote the foreword to that one. And uh, Dr. John Frame, if you know who he is, you should know who he is, by the way. Um, he said, my friend Dave Jenkins has written a great book on biblical authority. And so, I don't. I don't say that's a to toot my own horn. I just say those are two resources that I think will um, help you uh, discover more of these things. And a lot of people have found them to be helpful. So,
2: yeah, I think one of the things too, um, when you were talking about that, in the question, some of the questions that people are asked, I know that even some of them consisted of what their belief was as far as Jesus being created versus the son of God being preeminent. There's just different questions that have been asked in some of those surveys. And it's alarming to see how many people actually believe that Jesus was a created being or that sin isn't a big deal or certain, certain things that scripture has a strong point on them as far as being a believer in the way that we are to walk. And again, it goes back to people not knowing what scripture says and then when you don't believe, you believe that the Bible is a myth, that it's just full of stories, just fables, then what's your what's your faith rooted upon? I mean, we we come to saving faith through the proclamation of the gospel and the gospel is found in the written word of God. That is that is the foundation upon which we rest Um, In our Christian faith of knowing what scripture says about our Savior and then putting in our faith in him to save us from what God's word says. So it, it just creates a very shaky foundation when you're when your foundation is not rooted in the word of God that has been given to us. Um, and again, and then it goes back to you, you start creating all these things about who you think God should be and, and you start creating the standards and then you have made yourself God or that, that you made this God that you have concocted in your own understanding that. That is denied in scripture. And so that that's why it is it's vitally important to to go back to what the Word of God says in context. Um, and we want to honor God. I mean, that as as believers, our desire is to to glorify Christ and all that we do. How can we do that fully if we don't know what his word says? But i I agree with you, it's very concerning, and that's why we wanted to talk about it,
1: yeah, and and i and I believe we're going to even cover this this idea and others. As well in the book to point it out, to, to draw it out. So um, you know you can you can be looking for that as as we're working on that, and uh, we we are meeting once a month to uh, you know talk about that, and um, we're we're kind of still working on an outline, I think, in a in a ideas, but we're we're gonna we're on this because, and we're gonna keep speaking to it because. At the, at the root level, that's where this, these issues emanate from. If you, if you understand the foundational matters, like how serious biblical literacy is and how serious the Bible is under attack, you can begin to understand then these topics. And because this is what they do, they twist the scripture, as we're going to see, because they, 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 at, at a root level, what false teachers do is they don't believe the Bible. So they have to reinterpret the Bible, and this isn't only an issue with deliverance. This is an issue on the on social ju- and social justice. It's an issue in gender. It's an issue in sexuality. It's an issue on Adam as a real person, in real history. It's an issue with theological liberalism. It's a, it's an issue. Period. Um, but if you understand that what I just said, it makes it a little bit easier to understand and digest of what these guys are saying. And there's a lot of interest in um, understanding and, break, and people being able to break these things down. But if you understand that, where where the root is, like a tree has a root, right? A house has a foundation. If you understand the root and the foundation of the problem, you can begin to address the issues. And when I when I say that also, I'm not saying that we have to go rip the whole foundation down. We have to go back to the Bible and we have to go back to what the church has already taught. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. So I'm not saying that, but I am saying that we need to go back to scripture and we need to go back to what the church has taught and we need to be faithful to both. Amen. So...
2: So now that we're going to dive into some of these clips, um, the first two involve Isaiah Saldivar, and uh, you may be familiar with him. We've talked about him before. Uh, He's one of the demon slayers, and um, he uh, espouses to be a revivalist and also does a lot of deliverance on Zoom calls and online, mass deliverance, uh, a lot of these things. And he's talked quite a bit on his YouTube channel about deliverance ministry. But um, this was a clip I came across a while back uh, when he was talking about generational curses, and he is uh, going to be focusing on Ezekiel 18. So we'll play that and then we'll talk about it.
0: And the question comes down to, what are you going to pass down? Are you going to pass down curses or pass down blessings? Most people I deal with in deliverance were born with demons because the curse gave them a legal right to be there. And the Israelites literally saw curses being passed down. And that's why they came up with this proverb in Ezekiel 18.2. They said, sour grapes eaten by the parents leave a sour taste in the mouth of the children. In other words, the decisions the parents make whether to be blessed or cursed are going to affect the kids for generations to come. God is a generational God. You're going to see this all through scripture. Even secular people know this when they say that just runs in your family. Oftentimes they're talking about a generational curse. You can't break something friend. You don't acknowledge or you ignore. So you have to get to a place where you say it ran in my family until it ran into me because I'm the bloodline breaker. I'm the one that's going to break it. You can be the one
1: to set your family free. You can be the one to bring deliverance to your family. You know, uh we we have talked about uh generational curses with uh you and Doreen. And so um I'll link to that as well. So if people are wanting to know, you know, more about that and, and the wrongness of it. But this is taught throughout the whole movement, you know, from from Bethel to to the whole nine yards, as I'm sure Don will just mention here, but the passage that he is referencing, by the way, he misspelled Ezekiel. Um, I don't know if you noticed that, Don, but I did. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute, that's misspelled. Um, any, anyways, we're not trying to be nitpicky here, but, you know, there's certain standards. OK, um, so uh, this whole passage, Ezekiel 18, one through five, it it counters the idea that God punishes the children for the father's sins. People were saying that the children were suffering because of the sin of the parents you know that's a he even mentions non-christians um that's a very common uh understanding among many non-christians and unfortunately among many christians too who do not know their bibles we just talked about biblical literacy uh, preachers in israel were misinterpreting exodus 25 and bringing people into bondage and painting a picture of an unrighteous god who punished children for the sins of their ancestors but the lord replied in Ezekiel 18, three through four, you surely are you you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. The soul who sins dies. And so in the verses that follow in Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel expands on this idea, and it's going to help us understand that that the son of an evil man does not repeat his father's sins. This contradicts the interpret the interpretation of what I, men like Isaiah Salvador are teaching that the children are destined to repeat their father's sins. He, he will not be punished, but only the father. And the same goes for the passages in which a righteous man's son commits evil. The father will be blessed. The son will be punished. Now, Ezekiel sums this all up in Ezekiel 18, 20 through 21, when he says, The soul who sin shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son, the, righteous, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed, and keeps all of my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die.
2: Yeah, uh, one of the things w- that I noticed in that clip, because uh, I, I know that he Goes on to expound on that, and he pulls from Deuteronomy 28 and in Exodus 34, I think, and Deuteronomy 30, and he's referring to those different passages in order to prove his point that there are generational curses. And when they say this, that they believe there are demons that attach to families, to bloodlines, and families. And Ezekiel 18 is not proving his point. I mean, it, it's it's as if he doesn't really. Understand that what he's saying is refuting his point, actually, by referring to Ezekiel 18. And that even helps us in the New Testament to see we are accountable f- for our individual lives. I am not accountable for what my ancestors did. You're not accountable for what your ancestors did. Um, we are going to stand individually um, and be accounted for for what we've done, just as our salvation cannot be through a family bloodline. It ha- it's on an individual basis. And that even seems to be what Ezekiel's referring to is that that it's alluding to that type and shadow of salvation that is to come through Christ. The other thing that I want to point out too in that is that he points back to himself as the bloodline breaker. You're not your own savior. I mean, I don't think that he would say that I want to give Isaiah the benefit of the doubt on that, but I don't think he realizes that he's saying, and he's setting himself up as his own savior saying, you know, you're the, you're the bloodline breaker in your family. The curse stops with you. And that, that sets it up to where you are the one that's bringing redemption to your family. You're the one that's bringing um, the change in your family. Jesus is the one that is actually the bloodline breaker, if you will. He is the one that has he has canceled our debt of sin. He is the one that has transformed us and made us a new creation. He is the one that has redeemed us and reconciled us back to the father. So this whole mindset of, oh, I'm a bloodline breaker. You know, they make t-shirts with this stuff on it too. And again, it just points back to self. It's it's putting you up on a pedestal collectively. Like when I say you, it's putting you up on a pedestal to where even though you may genuinely want to honor God and exalt God, you're really exalting yourself. And we must understand our need for Christ. Um, I, I can't break the, 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 And even when you're talking about curses, you know, that can stem from the fact of the children seeing their father or their parents or other family members committing sin. And because that's not addressed in a biblical way, that continues on in that family bloodline. It doesn't mean it's a demon attached to that bloodline. It's because of sin coming in. That sinful nature that's there and the children are not taught better. They're not guided back to what scripture has to say in context and are not being raised up in the admonition of the Lord. So that's the, that was one of the things that stood out to me aside from the misuse of scripture was him pointing back to himself as the, the bloodline breaker. You're not the bloodline breaker. Let me just, let me just throw that out right there. (laughs) Yeah,
1: It's like you've talked about in other places as well. This really undermines the sufficiency of scripture and the sufficiency of Christ. And so, you know, uh, Galatians 3, 13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for as written curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. So, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So yeah. I mean, there you go, right there. I mean, I don't know how much clearer it could be, you know, you know, and, and that's just where we that's where we come to this whole matter of biblical literacy. It's like do you know how to read the Bible? Do you know how to study the Bible? If you don't know how to read and study the Bible, then you shouldn't be telling others, this is how you should read this passage because that that's what you're doing. You know, even even I've had some pushback on that, you know, when when I've written articles or talked about it, people are like, well, you're saying then that the pastor is helping people to interpret the passage. It's like, by the very necessity of, them preaching yeah they're 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 appointed by god as an as an officer as an under shepherd of christ and they're supposed to that paul commanded timothy to in second timothy 2 15 to rightly handle the word of god so yes your pastor is teaching you to handle the word of god now how they're handling the word of god they better be handling it correctly um otherwise they're going to give an account james 3 1 uh you know, you can go in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and see the damage that false shepherds do, uh, and we're talking about it even here as well with Isaiah Salvador and others that we'll look at, and and this is what we're this is why it's so important to like we said to understand the foundation. Because If you understand the foundation, you know what to look for when you come to these matters. When you hear it, it's like the Secret Service agent. Everybody, I think everybody knows this example, right? the secret service agent study studies the dollar bill the original dollar bill so that they know how to spot the fake the fraud we have the genuine article in the in the scriptures but we have to learn how to read and to study the bible so that we're not going to lead people astray that's why we we when we talk about these things you'll often see Don and I and others um giving context because that's that's really important because if you miss the context and you just cherry pick the verse or do a a, what i call it a genie genie a bottle kind of hey look at me i just opened my bible and oh look i just i just turned to this verse i'm I'm not even going to tell you what verse it is because i I don't i'm not going to give you an example on that i'm not going to give people a uh, an opportunity to say oh you know what he opened the the bible and did the very thing that he condemned um but here's the thing that's not what we should do we have to understand context you have to understand even in the context you need to understand before you can even get to the context you have to understand um why the author is writing that but but even before you can even get to that you you need to believe that god spoke in the bible <laughs> you know um you know, because because believing the right things about the Bible will impact what you do with the Bible, and that's yeah.
2: And the other thing too, sorry, but the other thing too with Isaiah as an example, um, he is very zealous. I mean, he has a lot of zeal um, for what he teaches. And what is deceiving is that he has a massive platform on social media. I mean, he has close to eight hundred thousand followers or subscribers on YouTube alone. And so a lot of people will look at that and their first reaction is, oh, well, it's a big platform. He must be reputable. He must know what he's talking about. So people will equate that and they'll think big platform means God's favors on it. Uh, This is correct. This is solid. I can trust this. And numbers don't mean anything. I mean, and, and if anything, we should be even more uh, using more scrutiny with people that have larger numbers, you should use scrutiny across the board. But when you're looking at someone that has major influence and in, in what they're saying and they're referencing scripture, you better be opening up your Bible and you you better be reading and listening. Because just because someone has massive influence, it doesn't mean that that God's favor is on that. It doesn't mean that God's approval is on that. And if anything, it should alarm us because scripture warns us that um, the, the wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Uh, Matthew 7, ref- Jesus talked about this versus the narrow gate. We know that in the latter times that people are that false teachers are going to go from bad to worse. They're going to be deceived and they're going to be deceiving others. We know that there are going to be there's going to be a great falling away. So the numbers don't. Um, are not in favor of many people coming to faith in Christ. There will there will be people that are coming to faith in Christ. But I say this just as a warning to people, just because someone has large numbers does not mean that that is God approving of what is going on there and what is being taught. We need to use b- biblical discernment. It also doesn't mean not everybody with a large platform is a false teacher. So my point in saying this is, you need biblical discernment. You need biblical literacy. You need to understand that the authority of scripture and that it is sufficient for your life as a believer.
1: Amen. No, I 100 percent agree. And I can I can take that even a step further and say, you know, some some people that, you know, they get rubber rubber stamped. Well, people that get rubber stamped, you know, what I call rubber stamp, you know, they get the stamp of approval um, by, you know, Bill Johnson. The same thing happens in our camp and the Reformed or and and the evangelical world and you get rubber stamped and then that person starts you start to see they they start to climb and influence and and but then what ends up happening is and i've seen this i've been doing this uh now 23 years so (laughs) keep that in mind i i have seen so many people fall by the wayside because they start to get a little bit of influence but they what they lack is they lack spiritual maturity and the more influence you get uh, the more accountability you better have, yeah. like just just saying like, and and it's not even just if you have a little bit. The I, I can speak very personally to this. When I w- when I got out of high school, I had all this head knowledge, but I didn't have you know I was nineteen years old. I didn't have the life experience you know behind me that I have now, um, and I had wished that I had waited till my really my mid twenties really um, because I was a head full of knowledge. I was a head full of zeal, but I really lacked humility. I really lacked in, in some ways, I really lacked relational maturity, um, you know, interpersonal maturity with people. And, and that is not just with the deliverance, that's just a problem with people having a, a, they think I have all this knowledge and I want to share and I want to, you know, get it. I get it. I get it. You know, that 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 desire to share truth because you're learning it is a good thing. But it's also a good thing to temper that with the fruits of the spirit and realizing, especially, you know, if you're younger um in in the faith or you're new, having a time to sit down and learn and grow is going to set you on a better trajectory than getting up and beginning right when you get saved or shortly after getting saved and beginning to you know speak and gaining a platform and influence and it's even more dangerous as you look at this i mean because like you said eight hundred thousand people people even christians i can say from from that vantage point growing up in the church people see that and they think Exactly like you said, it's the same, that same mindset. Oh, they must be doing something really good for the Lord and the Lord right. is blessing them. And uh, and it's not just in the New Apostolic Reformation. Mm-hmm. It's even among biblically minded and biblically rooted Christians. And so yeah. I, I'm just highlighting that to expound on that, those words, because it's such a needed word. But it's also a caution to say, We've also seen many, many, many examples of people who've crashed and burned. And so how much more should we be on guard against those who we follow? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't follow anybody as they follow Christ, but that's exactly the point. We follow them as they follow Christ. We follow them to the extent that they're faithful to the Bible. Um, this whole culture of hero worship and celebrity, it really needs to die. Um, It's not about me and it's not about um, you. It's not about whoever. Um, it's about Christ. It's about serving him. Um, I can use an, an example. When I was leading a Bible study at a church in Idaho, nobody knew X number of person that I knew. Um, they might've known one or two names. And what it became very clear to me, they don't care about any of that. What they care about is me. <laughs> they want to know me. They didn't come to hear from such and such person. They didn't come to hear um, you know, about that. They came to hear they came to the study. They came to hear uh, and grow in God's word with me. They came to ask questions. They came to you know grow as the elders put me in that position. Um, and that was, a, that was a humbling realization that even though I was getting tens of thousands of clicks on articles and more on podcasts, that didn't matter. What mattered is this person is before these people, this group of people is before me. And I need to be serving them. I need to be investing in them. I need to be faithful to the Scripture. And even as things grow, that should be our posture. We should have a humble posture. Uh, people people find that appealing, in on so many levels. But it, it's it's really because um, we know when somebody's proud, and we know what God says about pride in Proverbs fifteen and how He hates it. And we also know what the New Testament has to say about humility because it it tells us again and again you know god resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble and and on and on we could go and but i I just i just wanted to mention that because it's such an important thing in a a culture and even especially if you're an author or a writer there's this culture of you know I, i you have to have a certain amount of followers to get published and and even a certain amount of followers to have a to get a book deal and then even more you have to be on the conference circuit i can just say that from i say that as somebody who is a literary agent it happens it's there it's the reality i understand the business side of it it's not necessarily bad but it bleeds and feeds into this culture that we're talking about and that is wrong and it should stop i i i can't tell you how much it bothers me on um, that it's there and that it happens and that the quality of somebody's character and the quality of somebody's doctrine isn't necessarily promoted instead it's their significance because of they're attached to the amount of people that that or follow them on instagram follow them on facebook and twitter and follow them on youtube and it's, it's, so it's not just a danger in the new apostolic reformation it's a it's a real danger in the church Right.
2: Yeah. So we're going to be looking at Isaiah Saldivar again. And this time it's from a video that he did about a year ago where he posed 25 counter arguments to deliverance ministry. So let's see what he says about one of them using scripture.
0: Paul says, if you have anger, you give place to the devil. That's in Ephesians 4.27. So the question is, where does the devil go if you give him a place? If a Christian can't have a demon and you get angry and give a place for the devil, where does the demon go?
2: Um, I I actually covered this, but it's been about it was last year. I did a specific podcast covering this very video and addressing the 25 different counter arguments, which some of them were repetitive, it seemed like, and overlapped. Um, But I remember coming to this one because I opened my Bible and started looking at the passage Uh, and doing some word study on this, which is very easy to do for those watching. You don't have to be a theologian or a biblical scholar to do this. It does help because if, if you are trained in Hebrew and Greek, which I am not, um, it's all Greek to me, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, um, I remember looking this up and, and even going into logos, um, you can, there's a, an app you can do for this for with logos. You don't have to buy the big packages, but you can go in and look at the word studies. So I would encourage you to do that. And when you look at the word that he used saying, well, you give a place to the devil, which he's appealing to a certain translation when he does that. I think that he likes to appeal to the NLT if I'm not mistaken. Um, and some people have preferences, but He's trying to make the the verse say as if you're giving the devil a geographical location to go to. And that's not what Paul was saying. When you actually look at that word, Paul is saying, don't give an opportunity for the devil to influence this area or to provide a way that it would cause division or cause you to sin. This is not talking about, well, don't give a place to the devil, meaning don't let him in physically to your body because if you get angry, you know, you could let a demon of anger in or whatever. And again, it's leading people in a, it's leading people into deception. And then it's leading them into this mythological teaching of, I'm inviting a, a demon, a demon of anger, in. So I don't want to give place to it. No, it, it's talking about you as a Christian not providing an opportunity in order for the the, uh, the adversary to work within a situation to where you would be led into sin that would be against God.
1: Yeah, that's that's really really good. And just just notice, like notice what he how he said what he did if you do this then this will happen but but we have to remember that this this is an imperative this is a, these are commands that Paul is giving the the Ephesians and us these commands are rooted in the grace of God which Paul expounded on in the first 3 chapters of this this epistle he always starts his epistles in this way first telling the reader about uh what Christ has done and then telling them what they are to do in light of what you know Christ has done. So this is the indicative feeling the imperative what Christ has done feeling what we are to do because of who we are and who we belong to in Christ. That's the problem. Just 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 what we call biblical theology is what I just did. Just at that level, not even getting into the textual exegetical level. Um, it causes a huge problem. I mean, cause, cause the suggestion then could become when somebody listens to this, well, wasn't Jesus angry? And yet scripture tells us Jesus never sinned. So that was yeah. right. That was righteous anger. Um, so are you saying then, Isaiah, that we can never get righteously angry at things like abortion and sex trafficking and, and the like at sin itself? Um, you know, of course we have to be careful because, if we cross over into, we can easily cross over in our flesh. We can cross over as Christians into unrighteous anger where we want to, you know, harm the sex trafficking person. We want to harm the person that got an abortion. That's sinful because that right. person is made in the image of God. So so it's, yep. it's like a really fine line. At one moment, you're, you're a- righteously angry at the actions and the people that are engaging in it. And then you cross the line when you want to do physical harm to them. I use I only use that um, example because what what Isaiah is doing is he's crossing the line, and he's equating as Paul is saying here. Be ang- in verse in Ephesians four twenty six, Paul says, "Be angry and do not sin, and then do not let the sun go down on your anger." And then he says in verse twenty seven, "And give no opportunity." to the devil but uh where's the discussion of and i haven't watched this whole video but it wouldn't be shocking um he hasn't i probably hasn't talked about sanctification or repentance or growing in christ it's probably something to the effect of hey um you gotta get deliverance because you got a demon and you gave satan legal access not disrupting your fellowship with god but guess what? You gave Satan a, a foothold. You gave him legal rights. You gave him a foothold. So then the question becomes for these guys. So you're not talking about fellowship anymore. Instead, legal rights as code for the Christian security in Christ being broken. And that's that's really, I think, um, that's really damaging to people because if there's no security, there can be no assurance. And Christ gives uh, the Christian Christian can persevere because of Christ because they're united to Christ because they've been declared, not guilty. They're, they've been adopted by God. Um, they've been brought in through the door. They, they no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. They belong as Paul said in Colossians one to, you know, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus and, and all those beautiful realities. Um. So yeah, I mean, where's that, you know, in, in this conversation. So, so from the biblical th- uh, theological perspective. It doesn't work. It doesn't work uh, in the book of uh, Ephesians that that he's referencing. It, it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work at a foundational level in the passage. Um, it causes significant problems theologically. Um, I think I even mentioned the pastoral issues that it causes with assurance of Christians because it impacts their, um, you know, their security and their assurance but just pr- very practically, you know, that's what's so dangerous about it, because people do really struggle with anger. And so they might hear this and be like, well, I'm angry at so-and-so. And you just told me essentially that when I'm angry, I just gave Satan a legal foothold into my life. And so what then practically what hope have you given to that person? Um, it's, it just uh, causes so many, so many issues. And, and, and I think it's helpful. Um, I get told this is really helpful when I break it down. So I, I'm trying to break this down a little bit more for people because if, if you if, so that when you hear these things, you can spot it. OK, Dave said at the at the biblical theological level, the whole Bible level, it won't work. It doesn't. It has problems theologically, so it has problems with you know how we're taking the scripture and applying it. It has problems with the way in which we're going to minister to people, and it has problems. It causes problems practically for me. So we should avoid that. Avoid avoid that teaching is what I'm saying.
2: Yep, I agree. All right, so the last clip that we're looking at today is another individual that uh, espouses to be a demon slayer. His name is Vlad Savchuk. He is a pastor over a ministry called Hungry Generation and uh, has a decent amount of influence. I can't remember how many uh, followers he has on YouTube or on social media. But at any rate, uh, this is a very interesting statement that he is getting ready to say regarding John 10.
3: As a leader or as a pastor, I want to read to you uh, John chapter 10, verse 12. It says, but a hireling who is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. Deliverance exposes hirelings. Jesus said, how do you know a hireling from a shepherd? When warfare comes. Who leaves? Who runs? Who do they run from? wolf. Deliverance is what separates shepherds and hirelings. Not sickness, not healing ministry, not a uh, discipleship ministry. It's the wolf that exposes your true colors. So those of you or those of us who will say, I'm not comfortable with deliverance. Based on God's word, I have the audacity to question the validity of your calling. Oh, deliverance is just not my thing. Maybe you're a hireling.
2: Yeah, I I really um I I really was bothered by that because it's very demeaning. Um. I mean, last time I checked in First Timothy, as far as like the, the qualifications for an overseer, it doesn't say that they do deliverance ministry. It doesn't say that they cast demons out of people. And he's reading into the text. Um, and Jesus, I mean, he's not even pointing back. And this is what is equally frustrating when listening to these clips and and these teachings. There is so much emphasis on the demonic that Christ is nowhere in this, in this conversation, in this discussion, um, he is to be the focus, the center of our faith. He's the object of our faith. And Jesus is talking in John 10 and he's pointing out, he's one of the, it's one of the I am's, one of the seven I am's that Jesus says, I am the door. He is the way to salvation. He is the good shepherd. Um, he is the bread of life. He, and he's talking about, he's the good shepherd here. He is the one that brings his sheep in and he's pointing to the thieves and robbers, which I know I've done some Bible study on this. So I'm not sure what, what you've, uh, done with this day, but when I read about it, even, uh, with Matthew Henry and stuff, which I wanted to read this real quick, uh, I really like Matthew Henry's commentary. I have a few of them, a few different commentaries, but, uh, when you look up John 10, for example, on this passage, um, John Henry's take on it was uh, that the hirelings were the fault the religious leaders that had come before Jesus, and that they were the ones that were doing damage to the people, to the sheep. And he says, um, as far as the hirelings are concerned, they care not for the sheep. The wealth of the world is the chief of their good. It is because they are hirelings. They undertake the shepherd's office as a trade to live and grow rich by. It is the love of money and of their own bellies that carries them on in it. Those are hirelings that love the wages more than the work. And, you know, I think even pondering on what Jesus is saying there, he is pointing back to himself as the ultimate shepherd that will save his people and he will lead them and guide them and direct them. Not like the ones that have come before that don't care. And you know what, because he's a good shepherd, he protects us from the wolves. And I'll just be frank. I've used Vlad Savchuk and these others as wolves. They are wolves. For a, for an individual to stand on a platform like that and to say what he did with such a smirk on his face and to belittle pastors that actually take a biblical approach to what biblical deliverance is, which is salvation through, that's, that's through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is sufficient for us to be delivered from the tyranny of Satan. I find that to be a wolf statement and uh, it's belittling the the um, the call of a man to be a pastor and to truly lead God's flock into all truth that is found through the word of God.
1: That's really well said, really well said. And, and it's an important thing to, to, to say, you know, in Second um, Timothy four two, Paul charges Timothy and anyone who would preach to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You know, of course, we know from 1 Timothy 3.2 that, as you were uh, making reference to, um, the only thing that the elder is to be able to do is to teach, Mm -hmm. to rightly handle the word of God. As 2 Timothy 2.15 says in Acts 20, the elders of Miletus are commanded to preach the whole counsel of God. Where is where is that? And and I think even earlier you you mentioned um, with Isaiah Salvador, he doesn't even point to Christ. No. Uh, and, and yet Jesus in John 10, 7, he says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The, the thing that he appeals to, and the reason that I read those verses, is he starts out that statement by saying, as a pastor. Wow. So, as a pastor, what you say has authority only so far as it coheres with the Word of God. Right here, um, the pastor does not have authority above the Word of God, and and any pastor who says that they do have authority over the people when they're not even rightly handling the Bible is, and I'm going to say it this way: James White says that very thing is criminal. It's criminal. It's a crime. It's an eternal crime. That's how I'll say it. Because you are taking something that is sacred. You're not just saying, oh, you know, you get a little sports fact or a little idea or a story wrong. You're taking the word of God and telling people, as we talked about earlier, you're saying, this is what this passage means. Hmm. But Vlad, that's not what that passage means. You, You said that you said that deliverance exposes hirelings. Um you said that deliverance is what shepherd, uh, separates shepherds from hirelings. But a, but a real shepherd would actually teach them the Bible. A real shepherd would care for the people that they're under. Not smirking and thinking that this is a this is a fun little activity. I'm not saying that we can't have fun. I'm just saying that you said what you did and everyone's patting you on the back and cheering you on and and you and you he smirks and thinks that this is kind of like a joke. Um, where where is the fear of God? Where is the understanding that when you are speaking before a group of people and you're quoting scripture, um, you're going to stand before God. You're in the presence of God, and you're teaching the people of God. Uh, so where's the right understanding of 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 who you're speaking uh, of? First, who's the presence you're speaking in? And then whose people you're speaking to um so there's there's a real lack of the fear of god um there and and it's deeply deeply troubling um and it leads to him sort of self-congratulating as you said pointing to himself whereas as i read from john 10 and as you mentioned the seven times those seven times in john's gospel they go back to exodus 314 where god says i am who i am You see god is eternally self-sufficient in and of himself and that's jesus's point he is the son of god and the son of man and Vlad totally missed that by pointing to himself he's making a mockery of the the eternal self-existence of god himself and and in the presence ironically in the presence of god and before the people of god um he 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 says that anybody who doesn't practice this thing is a is a isn't a um isn't a shepherd but the, the ironic thing out of his own mouth he is saying he isn't a shepherd he's a false shepherd and he's a false teacher so um, it's just it's, it's literally ironic um, by by mishandling the Bible he is guilty of the very thing in which he accuses other people of and I, and I say that's ironic to point it out so that you can see it yourself out of his own mouth, out of his own words, he mishandles the Bible. He says, This is what it means. He smirks and he laughs, and people that are in his audience, they congratulate him. You know, the audience is guilty too. They're encouraging him on in his false teaching. Um, and I think Vlad has like tens of thousands, if not more, of people following him on YouTube. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands. So, I mean, again, you have to do what the, the Bereans were being taught by. None other than the Apostle Paul in Acts 17. And they were commended because they're searching the scriptures in Acts 17, to see if these things are so, you know. And I'll just say this as somebody who's been preaching since he was 16. You know, I started in a homeless shelter. I preached in local churches and, and on and on it goes. But it matters that when you're preaching, you're standing, not you're standing before people. Yes. But ultimately, you're not preaching for the people's benefit. You're preaching in the presence of the Holy One, who is the Creator, who is the Lord over all. You're, you're preaching, yes, to help people. I'm not saying that, but ultimately, you're preaching in the presence of God and before His face and for His glory. And so, you better have some fear of God and understand that if you lead the people of God, you're you're yes, you're going to have to stand before those people too um you're going to stand before the lord and those people are going to pass you by and if they believed you if they followed you and and the lord says to them depart from me i never knew you as jesus says in matthew 7 how tragic will it be for you on that day of judgment and that's what's that's what's so tragic about all these these guys is there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people who When they they stand before the Lord and they give an account for their ministries, there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people who follow, um, follow, who have followed them, who follow in a long line. And Jesus is going to say to all those hundreds of thousands of people, depart from me, I never knew you. That should be the most shocking thing in the world. And if that alone isn't enough to speak up about this and to warn about it and to help people understand it, I don't know what is. Um, you know, maybe I can come at this another way real quick. In in Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he, he says that in Matthew's gospel, I think in every other gospel as well. Um, but the reason is, is what we say comes out of our hearts. It reveals what we love. What Vlad is showing is what he loves. He loves the applause of men. He loves the likes and the follows and the, the pats on the back. And he and he treats it like a joke. and I don't enjoy I don't enjoy saying that, but I think I say I say that to hopefully help people understand to see and we're not questioning their motives, but we're just saying these are things that they're doing. these are things that they say. And he did that he's done this in an interview with Greg Locke that we've talked about as well. so
2: yeah and uh, what I also find interesting with what he said, before I forget, is that um, he he's talking about that pastors that do deliverance are not high are not hirelings. We we always have to go back when we're talking about deliverance, what they mean by that. <laughs> and a true a true biblical pastor that knows what scripture says and realizes that a born again believer cannot have indwelling demons will not do this. They will not do this. They will guide them back to scripture, back to the truth of God's word, back to the understanding of sanctification, back to biblical discipleship. Um, that they, they will guide them back to the authority of scripture and not to a man exalting message where Christ is not exalted in this. And, and again, I, I just... I, I say that because it's very unfortunate that that Christ that it was Christ-centered. This whole John 10 was, of course, the, the Bible was Christ-centered, but when he was focusing on John 10, that was an amazing opportunity to focus on how Jesus is the door and he is the good shepherd, and to preach a salvation message. And instead, the opportunity was wasted on a man-exalting message, on slandering godly men who care about the flock of God and ministering a message that is false in its very nature uh, and just perpetuating more spiritual bondage in people. It was a great disservice to those listening. Um, and it, it makes me very sad to, to to hear it.
1: Me too. Me too. It's, it's presenting another Jesus as we've, as we've seen today, which is no Jesus. It yeah. offers no help and no hope. And that's, That, I think, is the most tragic thing of all is we have real hope. Um, There's real hope for people who are really struggling with knowing what the Bible says and what it means. Um, God hasn't withheld hope. He has offered hope from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. You know, in the Old Testament, we see this through the stories of real people who were living in real times where they faced real struggles like you and I. And we see that even in the in the gospels um you know he, you had peter for example he was you know we know very zealous he wanted to go he was gun ho and he wanted to go and uh but even there he had to go through a period of testing of refinement we know and he failed three times and then the lord restored him graciously i i pray that these men that we continue to talk about that they really consider how they're leading people astray. I and I pray also for the followers, their followers, their disciples. They they have disciples. Yeah, the people that are following their teaching. They are making not disciples of Christ, but disciples of themselves. And at the end of the day, all those people like I mentioned, they're all going to funnel past past Vlad and the demons, all those demon slayers. And one by one, that the Lord of glory is going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And that person that we don't know this for certain, but say Vlad is is there and he is standing off to the side next to the Lord. And all these people are filing one after another after another to the Lord. And the Lord is telling each one of those people, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew. You. Depart from me, I never knew. You. Depart from me, I never knew. You. That should give you pause today, right now, to realize that these people aren't giving you hope. They're not giving you help. They're asking you to keep coming back to them. They're asking you to not have any security and not to have any fellowship. They're not helping you to grow. They're not pointing you to the to the what the scripture means. They're pointing to what they think it means. There's a difference. If I point to what i think it means and i don't explain this is what it means in context i'm not rightly handling the bible some people say there's no way to rightly handle the but there is a right way to handle the bible we're going we're gonna to talk about that in another episode but there is a way right way to handle the bible and it matters it matters how we handle the bible it shows what we do with what we believe about the bible and it matters because if in that scenario Vlad and the Demon Slayers are all standing in next to the Lord and millions of their followers go and and funnel past them. And the Lord of Glory says, depart from me, I never knew from you. And they look over to the Greg Locks and the Derek Princes and the Alexander Paganis and all of those people and be like, why, why didn't you tell me about hope? Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? What, what are they going to say in that day? When they also go through that line and have to stand before the same Lord of glory and give an account for what they taught. And what's their excuse going to be? Lord, I I believed your word. I did many signs and miracles. And the Lord is going to say, what? Depart from me. I never knew you. It's something that should really give us pause. And it's something that should really cause us to ask some questions. You know, And, and a lot of people have these questions. They're asking questions about these things. The more you and I speak up, as you know, um, the more that like Doreen speaks up about it as well and others as well, the more questions we're getting, the more people are realizing that these people are not handling the Bible. And what these people want is the Bible. They're hungering for the Bible and they're being stuck in stuck in biblical literacy, stuck in infanthood and not being allowed to grow into mature maturity in Christ because they're not even being pointed to Christ. Thanks for joining us for this uh conversation. Um I always enjoy, well, enjoy is a relative way, term here. <laughs> but but I think that people enjoy and are helped by these episodes. You know, it's a difficult thing um, you know, to talk about, but I, I appreciate your willingness to do it and uh, your commitment to the word and your commitment to Christ and your commitment to the church and I, I share that desire and echo it and uh, that's that's really why I'm doing it. So,
2: Well, I'm thankful to be on Dave and um, just as a, a final thing I will add uh, when you're talking about the passage in Matthew 7 that is one personally I have really contemplated uh, as someone who was part of this movement and um i think it's one of the most frightening passages in scripture um because of people that are convinced that that they'll they'll do these things they'll cast out demons it even says in that passage that they'll say lord lord did we not cast out demons in your name and did we not prophesy in your name and for 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 god to look at a person and say i didn't know you i didn't have a, i didn't have a relationship with you i didn't know you um I fully believe that I was one of those that would have been in that group and by the grace of God that, and by his mercy, that I was brought out of that. And so that is for my end. Um, that is why I, I do what I do for the glory of Christ, first of all, and to help others come out of this, um, because the things that are taught in this, especially with deliverance ministry, it, it can be devastating to somebody's faith. It's damaging and it's not honoring God. And so um, it, it's a fight worth worth engaging in. And so I appreciate uh, you taking time to do the same.
1: For God's glory and for His praise.
2: Amen.